started, you guys, for the adult meeting? Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, guys. So, um, <clears throat> Peter couldn't be here today. He had uh, an event going on in his house, so um, we're going to try today to talk about a topic. Um, it's actually uh, in about two weeks, our church celebrates um, a very special fast, right? It's like a three-day fast followed by a feast day, and then two weeks later, we start the Great Lent. So this is pretty uh, well known to a lot of people. It's, the, it's Jonah's fast. So today I thought it would be nice to talk about, um, talk about Jonah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, our church places Jonah's fast if for a particular reason two weeks before Great Lent. It's a, sort of like a preparation. So we, we do everything, you know, the hymns, everything is, is very much like in a Lenten style. And, and so why would a... Why would a minor prophet, Jonah, and a four-chapter book in the Old Testament be so important in our church, I mean, magnificently important, that we have a, a three-day fast and sort of a, you know, a celebration day after that? Why? Like, what is it about this particular prophet or the, or the book that, that he authored um, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we would... would would, uh, would our church be so interested in it? So, you know, traditionally, most people, when they talk about Jonah's and they talk about Jonah's fast, you know, many churches have these, um, you know, talks every night, like Nahdas or something. And what they talk about is really repentance, right, which is a, a big central theme in, in uh, the book of Jonah. You know, the, re the great repentance of the Ninevites. So that's important, but I thought maybe today we wouldn't talk about that. We talk about other elements in, in the book. So the story of Jonah, and, and the icon is there. Obviously, it's not drawn to scale, right? Because that fish is pretty small. It's barely big. But um, the, the story is just not a kid's story. So all our kids know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah and the great fish, the big fish that swallowed. And it is not an allegory. It's not some story of fiction. And we know this because our Lord Jesus Christ himself um, mentioned this when the Pharisees and scribes came and they asked him something. So it says in the gospel according to St. Matthew, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered them and said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So when our Lord Jesus Christ mentions Jonah and the details of the story, he spoke of the fish. He spoke of the repentance of the Ninevites. He spoke of the resurrection, the judgment day. Um, <clears throat> it tells us that this is not a made-up story. So let's, let's try to understand a little bit about who Jonah was and, and this, pro this prophet and the prophecy he was talking about. 
So who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet, and his name actually is translated or means dove. And it, he's considered um, the author of the book in the Old Testament that bears his name, and it's only four chapters long. It's like less than 50 verses in its entirety. I mean, I think all of us should definitely read it sometime this week. It'll probably take you less than half an hour or so, probably 15 minutes to read the whole thing. Um, and he was a prophet from an area uh, uh, that he lived in Gath Hefer, which is in, mentioned in Second Kings, but it's an area near Nazareth. And he was an interesting prophet because his entire prophet, so we, when we think of prophets, we think of somebody who speaks a lot, right? So it says all these um, prophecies, all these words, mainly to the is Israelites. Jonah only had one statement that he actually spoke. That's mentioned in the book. But he was a prophet by his, not just, not only, or certainly not by the words he said, but really by his life. And his life was representative of um, two different um, sort of um, categories. One is the Jewish people. So his life as a Jew was very representative of how the Jewish people were. And God often will use that as examples um, in the prophets of the Old Testament. And we'll get into details of why, you know, what his thought process as a Jew was like and what that meant to the story. And then, of course, we know as Christ himself mentions, that he represents our Lord Jesus Christ. As he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so our Lord was, and he emerged from the belly of the fish alive, and our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so his, his, it's not his words, but mainly his life. Now, it's a very powerful book because it's written in such an honest way. I mean, when you read this book, you're like embarrassed for Jonah. You're like, how could you act like this, Jonah? Like, who, what, what, what were you thinking? How, how would you like run away from God? This is ridiculous. And then, but you have to remember that he wrote this. So it's wonderful because as I'm reading it and as we're reading, we're like, oh, wait, I did that too. Wait a second. This isn't just you, Jonah. This is, this is me. This is like my story. So let's talk a little bit about you know, the, the time at that time. So Jonah was around, was, was um, in that area near Nazareth uh, at, during the reign of King Jeroboam II of Israel. So that time period is from 790 to 750 BC. And the other main area or main um, city that's mentioned is the city of Nineveh. So Nineveh is in modern day, if you hear the, the city Mosul, in Iraq, that's, that's where Nineveh was. And Nineveh was a huge city. It was the center of a massive empire that was taking over that part of the world at that time, and that's the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire um, was somewhere between 900 and like 650 BC, right? And the Assyrians were very powerful, harsh military um, empire, that was taking over the northern kingdom of Israel at this exact time. Okay, so you have um, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two, the northern and the southern, right? And the, the northern kingdom was being swallowed up by the Assyrians, and their main city was Nineveh. 
They were hated, hated by the Jewish people, right? They were, they were the sort of conquering or attacking empire that was taking over um, their people. And so, you know, we have this understanding that Jonah was representative of the Hebrew nation, the, 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 Israel, the Israel people. So what, what would he think of when he's being asked by God to go and speak to Nineveh and tell them to repent? Like, how would he take that? As any self-respecting Jew, he wouldn't want to go. It's ridiculous. As a matter of fact, maybe I will go and I will tell them they're going to be destroyed because that was the prophecy. Go, tell, go to Nineveh and prophesy and let them know that in 40 days, if you don't repent, the city will be overtaken, overthrown, destroyed. So, um, and another thing that's interesting is Jonah was, unlike other prophets, he wasn't sent to his own people. He wasn't a prophet to the people of Israel. He was a prophet to the Gentiles, right? So this is very rare that you have a, a prophet who goes and speaks to people that are not Jewish. So why, what is it about sending Jonah to the Ninevites that God wants this to be a big part of history? Like what story is God trying to tell us about himself? God sends Jonah to the Ninevites, this great city, and in the book, or in the, in the book of Jonah, um, God says it four times, the great city of Nineveh. So it's almost like he's praising Nineveh to a Jewish man, and, the, and remember, the, the book of Jonah was so important that it carried on in Scripture, in Jewish Scripture, it was one of the chosen books that was carried on. So you have to understand that the people knew this story. So what was God trying to tell them? You know, this is a story of repentance, and one of the big themes is the story of repentance is that God is not just interested in his chosen people. Remember, the Jewish people were very prideful. They were, had a jealous pride, like we're the chosen ones. We're it. We have the right God. He is our God. And here's an opportunity that God says, well, not just you. I have created all of this, and everyone's important to me. So the story unfolds in this time period where there's a, an, you know, an empire that's growing. It's taking over the, 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 the Jewish nation. You have a Hebrew man who's being asked by God to leave the area near Nazareth, and travel, usually about a three-day trip, to this great city of Nineveh and tell them, repent, or your city is going to be destroyed. And we know what happens. Jonah doesn't do it. He doesn't do it, right? He, what does he do? He goes to, to Joppa, which is right by Nazareth. It's on the, the Mediterranean Sea. And he finds a boat, and he pays his fee. And this is all wonderfully detailed in the story. He pays his, and he hops on this boat and to go away. Go where, Jonah? Where are you going to go? He's going to go to the furthest city that's known, and that's Tarshish. Tarshish was, so you imagine the Mediterranean, 
and on the far east of the Mediterranean is sort of where Israel is. What's on the other end? Spain, Gibraltar, on the far end. That's where Tarshish was. Tarshish was like a Phoenician mining city. He was going to get onto a boat and travel across the Mediterranean to the furthest end the other way. Like, really, Jonah? It's kind of embarrassing when I'm reading the story. When you find out where Tarshish was, this is where you're going to go? What was he thinking, we say? What were you thinking, Jonah, that you can run away from God? Why would Jonah do this? He tells us why. You see, Jonah knows the heart of God. So even though he's supposed to carry a message of destruction for the Ninevites, and as a Hebrew man, he was going to deliver it. He was like, oh, wait till I tell them they're going to be destroyed. This is delicious. He knows the heart of God. And knowing the heart of God, he knows what God is capable of, which is great, great mercy. And knowing this, his pride gets in the way. How am I going to go tell the enemy that their city is going to be destroyed and God changes his mind and I look like a fool? I look like a fool? I'm not doing it. She's not going to do it. I'm going to go the other way. So he gets onto the boat and he travels. And we see the beautiful story unfold in front of us as God starts to use so many things to save not only the Ninevites, which we know of, but the people on the boat, the mariners with Jonah, and Jonah himself. So what does God use? God uses nature winds, tempests that beat the boat. And what's Jonah doing at the time of the storm? He's in the bottom of the boat asleep. The mariners that are in the boat with him are not Jews. They start praying, so they are scared. They start to pray. They start to throw things overboard, right? The ship's going to sink. Now, it doesn't mention that the ship was sinking. But they started to throw things overboard. The captain comes down and says, Sleeper, sleeper, wake up. What are you doing? He starts, they start asking him, What's, Pray to your God. Who are you? What are you traveling from? What's your story? He tells them the story. And then he tells them that I, I my God, is the God who created all this. And it's my fault. And then they are scared. What, do you, what should we do then, they say? What should we do? You see, even in the story where they find out that it's his fault, they don't want to condemn him if it's, if it's a wrong thing to do. So they ask him, what should we do with you that this could stop? And he says, throw me overboard and it'll stop. And so they do as a sacrifice to his God because they believe in his God. And the storm stops. And Jonah, as we know, is swallowed by a big fish. This is where it gets kind of crazy. This is where the people start saying, this must be a kid's story, right? This is like a children's fable. But it's true. A fish swallows a man. 
alive. And this man is sitting inside the fish for three days and three nights. Why does God do this? God uses not only nature, but he uses his creatures. He uses a fish to save Jonah because God's will is going to be carried out whether Jonah wants that or not. But in doing so, God saves the mariners and he's trying to save Jonah. Now remember, this great fish is probably so big that I mean, we know of great fish that can be bigger than a boat, even bigger than a ship. How can a man live inside of a fish and not be digested? God's will, that's how. So God saves Jonah, but Jonah comes to his knees. And he has, <clears throat> in the second chapter, most beautiful, it's, it's, it, it reminds you of the Psalms. It's a beautiful prayer to God, how God is saving him during this really hard three days. He's being broken, essentially, inside. This prideful man who said, I'm not going there. I'm going to go to the opposite end of the earth because I don't want the word that I speak to be, to be something that God changes his mind on. So here we see Jonah broken, humbled, on his knees, inside the belly of a fish. And after three days, the fish vomits him up on shore, and soon enough, he goes into Nineveh. Ah, we think this is perfect. Jonah's learned his lesson. He'll speak to the Ninevites, and all will be well. Well, we all know that's not how the story goes, right? So Jonah enters this great city. Now, mind you, I'm being very harsh on Jonah, but I'm worse than Jonah. What Jonah does is nothing compared to what I do all the time. Talk about pride, hard-headedness, wanting my way, not wanting, not wanting to be in a situation where I look bad. God allowed the story of the fish to happen because of because then the Ninevite people who are the conquering nation can listen to him. What a story. I am so-and-so. God is saying to you, and oh, by the way, I was swallowed by a fish and I lived for three days inside the fish and I'm here alive telling you. The story's magnificent. It's, un, it's unreal. And, and, and they listen to him. And... I'm sure from now through Jonah's fast, someone will speak about the great repentance that's shown by the Ninevites. It was true repentance. From the king on down, everyone repented. The ruler, they were in sackcloth, right? So this like goat's hair that's rough. They changed their clothes to this rough clothes. Everyone repented. They all fasted, and the repentance was real. But Jonah was still Jonah. So just like me, despite how God worked in Jonah's life and, and he was on his knees inside the belly of the fish, now that he's out, 
He feels that pride again. So what does Jonah do? He delivers the message, knowing that God is likely going to be merciful. But what does the story tell us? He goes outside the city and watches to see what happens to the city. Like there may be a chance it gets destroyed and I want a good view from out here. Like this is, hmm, let's see if God gets them out of this one. But I, I want a good, I, I, so inside of him, that, that hardness is still there. That pride is still there. That I'm not sure, I'm not sure he's going to, I'm not sure he's going to save them. It's almost like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Hebrew. They conquering our people. I just want them to perish. I just want that. So how does God deal with this? Well, then God looks at the Ninevites in a very special way. Because remember, they're Gentiles. Like the mariners, they're not... They don't know the, 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 the prophecies. They don't know, they don't have history with God. The Ninevites don't have history like the Jews do, how God sends them prophets, how he's saved them from slavery, how he does so much for them. These are Gentile people, and yet they repent. And God is so merciful to them. And this amazing rescue and the, that Jonah told them about with the fish. It changed them. And uh, it says very, it says something about Jonah's reaction, that Jonah was angry. He went outside the city angry. Like when he knew that God was saving them, he became angry. And he said, I want to die. Like, this is embarrassing. Like, how could you be so merciful? How could you be so nice? How could you make me look like this? It's not right. I'm so mad at you, God. I'm, I just want to die. And we're reading the story going, what? This is embarrassing. What, what, what are you saying, Jonah? But that's the beautiful thing of the story, and it is so real. He writes it so real. So then, you realize that Jonah is angry and he's lost. So, what brought Jonah back to his senses? God's love. See, God often does this with us. We throw tantrums. We're like spiritual adolescents, right? Let, I'm a spiritual adolescent. I feel like many times I'm given freedom by God, so I, I'm equal with God. I don't have to listen to God. And I certainly don't want to face the consequences of my own actions. So what does God do with Jonah that he often does with me? He reasons. God reasons because he loves. So God's love, knowing Jonah, is throwing a big tantrum and wanting to die. God, again, uses nature to calm him. How does he do this? Remember, Jonah's outside the city. He's watching to see what happens. He's mad. It gets hot. It gets real hot out there. Remember, this is like Iraq, right? It's really hot. 
So God, in his love for Jonah, springs up a vine, a gourd plant, and the leaves are large and it covers Jonah. And he feels so good. He just feels so good. He's like, wow, this is really nice. I feel comforted. God gives a little gift to him. Like, like my son, just, just enjoy the comfort I'm giving you and don't be so hot-headed. Don't be so mad. And then God starts to reason with him. You know, and Jonah starts to like sort of argue back because God does something. After Jonah enjoys the comfort of the vine... God uses nature again to teach him a lesson. What does he do? Remember, the first living thing was the big fish. God brings out a worm that destroys the vine. The vine dies. And Jonah is exposed to the hot elements again. And what does he say? This sucks. I want to die. He says that. I want to die. This is awful. Like, how could God do this? This beautiful vine that covered me yesterday, like, now is dead. Like, why? Why? And so, God, God then begins to really reason with him. He says, you didn't do anything for this plant. Jonah, you did nothing for this vine to grow, and now you're crying about it and you want to die because it's gone? How much more? my people in Nineveh. And God says that they are ignorant. He says they don't know their right hand from their left. And there's a few hundred thousand people in Nineveh. God loves them. And he tells him, you're mad because of a plant that you didn't work for. And here are my people that are ignorant. How much more then should I not feel for them? And it teaches us a really important lesson about how God deals with us. So let's talk about one or two of those lessons. First, God searches for man to save us no matter what. He doesn't stop searching. He doesn't stop chasing us. So, you know, the way repentance works is what? I mess up, I go chase after God, ask God to forgive me. That's not how our God works. It's the opposite. He goes and chases us for us to repent. Like he, you talk about the glory, who is supposed to have the pride in the story? God. He's the one that's supposed to be prideful. He's the creator of all. So if Jonah wants to say, I hate this, I'm going to die, he's like, okay, die. But he doesn't do that. So you see, God's honor and pride does not matter to him when compared to the love he has for all of us. That's very important. So he uses any means to bring us back, even when we choose by our own free will to run away from him. When I choose to find a boat and pay the fee and go all the way to Tarshish, that's my free will. That's what I'm choosing. He's chasing me. 
That's one wonderful lesson about who God is. Another lesson is God's prepared to use punishment and severity in order to save us. He really is. And so sometimes he'll bring a storm that rocks my boat, doesn't destroy my boat, doesn't flip over my boat. My boat's not taking on so much water that it's sunk, but it's just enough for me to get rid of some baggage that I need to get rid of in my life. That's the little punishment. Now, sometimes if I want to ignore that, then something big can happen. A fish can swallow me. Something to bring me to my knees so that I can understand the message and the will of God. So even though God gives us our freedom, the end goal is always the same. He loves us. He wants us to repent. He wants us to enjoy life with Him. And how He gets us there is, is partly up to us because He's going to use some means sometimes that would seem like a pretty severe. Because again, remember, I'm a spiritual adolescent sometimes. And sometimes I need to be reminded of who's in charge. Another lesson that we learn is God's willing to relent on His Word. What a beautiful attribute of our God, right? Why? We know and trust that the Word of God is true, right? I don't have to think about if God says He's going to forgive me, I don't have to think that that's going to be like 80% of my sins. There's no 80% forgiveness with God. There's no, there's none of that. God, God's word is true. But how come here in this story we see that God relents, forgives, not just in this story, throughout the history of mankind? We learn that he is willing to go back on his word even if Jonah did not want God to relent. And we sometimes don't want God to relent. Do we do that sometimes? We ask God to, like, punish so-and-so for doing such-and-such such to me. Like, fine. You know, he did this to me. You know what? If it happens to him, then it happens to him. Matter of fact, God, please just take care of this. We don't use words like kill him or destroy him. That's a little too harsh for us. We're like, you know what? Just deal with him, God. Just deal with him. We do that all the time. Jonah did that. But God is willing to relent because he loves. The other thing is God is long-suffering, right? His timeline is very different than yours and mine. He will wait it out. He knows what the end is. He'll use different events in our life to kind of guide us and steer us. And the older we get, the more we look back on our life and you say, wow, yeah, he did teach me that lesson, didn't he? Oh, I didn't learn it. I did it again. But he, he's long-suffering, and he doesn't give up quickly. He never writes us off. As a matter of fact, he doesn't write anyone off. He writes no one off. And this is out of his great love for us. Another lesson we learn is God likes to reason. He does. He likes to, to hear our side of the story. 
As a matter of fact, that's the beautiful gift He gives us in prayer, right? He gives us the gift of prayer so we can talk to Him, so we can reason with Him. And you, hear, and you see this in the book of Jonah. Jonah's like reasoning with God, and God's reasoning with him. Just like we know of the story of Moses and how he reasoned with God. And Abraham, with Sodom and Gomorrah, he just reasoned. God is so, he gives us that right, even though we have no, we have no, we have no authority to, to, to reason with the, the creator of all. But he, he does. He gives us that. He's, he reasons. Why? Because he often wants to convince me. It's like Tony is an adolescent. Spiritually, he doesn't understand. Let me just talk it out with him. And Tony, please tell me what you're thinking. And I'll show you what I'm doing. And then another final lesson is that all of God's plans, his dispositions, in the end are good for us. And they're going to happen, right? God's will is going to happen. And when we struggle and try to fix things our way, we often will fail quite miserably. But we learn obedience and we ask that our will be the same as his. So if I know that God's going to have his will happen, but I'm not going along with that plan, if it's just ignorance, God will show me. He'll teach me. If it's pride, if it's being hard-headed, he will break that. God's disposition is good in the end. So we believe that and, and go with it. So I'm going to end there and just try to ask everyone to please. We have two weeks before the fast of Jonah. Let's try to read it. It will take you 15 minutes. And then there are many sermons and books written about Jonah. Here's one that I happen to find in our own library here, and someone can have it and read it. Uh, Pope Shenouda writes wonderful contemplations about this very short story. But let's remember that God is kind and merciful. Um, he's always been that way, and Jonah knew this. Jonah knew God very well. He knew that God would forgive. And his relationship with God and what got him at the very end was the love of God, how he chased him, how he used everything in his life to not only save Jonah, but to save Ninevites, to save the mariners. Um, it's a very wonderful story that we can all benefit from. And more importantly, I think, than reading the story is to look at our own life in these next couple of weeks before this fast and then the Great Lent and try to understand the areas in my life where I've been very, very prideful, very hard. Like my heart is just like not open to, the, to, to even talking about such things. Whether it's a person in my life that I am not open to talking to or an event that's so painful that I don't want to look back to it. Or things that are happening in my life that God is showing me a clear way and I am just not want to go there. Let's think about those things and pray about those things. Because if we remember that God is full of love and compassion, 
what he really wants is for us to enjoy life with him. He doesn't like it like our own kids when they're hard-headed. We don't enjoy that part of our relationship. We want to enjoy the happiness and the closeness. This journey of our life is going to be so beautiful, even if there's struggles, when we understand the end goal like God understands it. So um, I think this is the message that God is giving to all of us now, is to understand what the end is and to work on our own life to try to, to, try to find where God is leading us. To him be the glory forever. Any questions? Like I said, there's probably going to be many other talks about Jonah in the next few weeks, or certainly during Jonah's fast. Let's stand up to pray.